these passages, we call upon your name. For Lord, for every one of us, there must be a first, a beginning, whereby we see our need. We see that we are bound hopelessly by the result of the fall of Adam. And we see, Lord God, that we cannot dig ourselves out of our lostness and recognizing that, Lord God, throwing all thought of our capacities to reach God, we throw those thoughts aside and we simply recognizing our need and the fact that the wages of sin is death and that we are hopeless in ourselves. We call, we call, Lord, on you without any thought to our ability. We call on you. We call on the name of the Lord. And in very much the same way, the Lord said that those who believe even on the name of Jesus shall be saved. And so, Lord, we thank you that way back some 4,000 years ago, through the blessing of a previously unremarkable and unknown man named Abram, you begin to build that foundation and source of blessing whereby, according to your plan, not only would all nations of the earth be blessed, but that there would come the one seed. And in him, all men could have relationship with you. And particularly as we Christians have been placed as no others in Christ, for we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And we, therefore, receive blessing beyond imagination according to your plan in blessing faithful Abraham, blessing Abraham's natural seed, which is Israel blessing all the nations of the earth who because of him could know God and yet specifically for us, blessing us through the one seed because your plan is that in this 
administration of your household, that is in this dispensation, we more uh, than simply have a relationship. We have the epitome of relationships whereby Christ would say, and the, the prophet would say that he is the firstborn among many brethren. We pray and give great thanks to you today. And I pray, dear Lord, that the realization of the magnitude of the blessings that are here starting with this one faithful man, you have shed abroad in all the earth. Blessed be your name, for we pray in Jesus. Amen. trust in Jesus and to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise and to know the saith the Lord Jesus Jesus how I trust him how I prove him more and Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood and in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing blood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, hope oh, for grace to trust him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus, simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, hope oh, for grace to trust him more. I am so glad I've learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know 
that thou art with me will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, for grace to trust him more. And um, I'm going to bring out some high points. And bringing these out, uh, it's going to cover several chapters. And so what I'll do, rather than read uh, everything, uh, which would take an awful long time, uh, let, us, let me just start by saying, and so uh, Tara, having died, uh, Abraham, or Abram, as his name was then, uh, picked up... Uh, the family, uh, the ones who wanted to go with him, and he headed south towards the land that God uh, was going to lead him into. And uh, Lot went with him, and uh, we are not told that anyone else. So here we have Abra Abram's family with Sarah and Lot uh, and his wife. Uh, so Abram left Haran, and he, according to verse 5, he, he went forth into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And when they got there, according to verse 7 of chapter 12 of Genesis, uh, we read this, starting with verse 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed will i give this land and there uh, abram builded an altar unto the lord who appeared unto him and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of bethel now, the word Bethel means house of God, and it will show up again later in Scripture. I'm sorry to say that um, uh, it, deep into Israel's apostasy, Bethel later was destroyed by the Lord God himself due to Israel's apostasy. Um, Bethel, the term Bethel means house of God. And so um, this is where Abram uh, built an altar. And remember in those days, there was no priesthood, there was no law, but the patriarch or the head of every house was the priest. Uh, now, if he chose to become a valuable priest for his household, all well and good. Um, it's obvious that not, not all that many uh, leaders of the household received and 
shouldered their proper responsibility. But Abraham did. And Abraham, having uh, had some uh, communication with Almighty God, built there a, um, an altar. We assume he sacrificed animals. And here in verse 8 of chapter 12 of Genesis, we find the first, um, uh, the first instance of Abram calling upon the name of the Lord. And yet, having done that, Abram, according to verse 9, goes on with his journey still towards the south. Now, we look at these patriarchs as if they were perfected by God in the beginning. What you should understand, and this is also true of everyone who makes an initial plea to God. You see, our salvation is nothing more or less than by faith we call upon his name to be saved. And in that transaction, uh, we are turning away from self. We are turning away from any righteousness that we have. And we are casting our eternal future into the hands of one that we believe can save us. Now, we know that the basis of all salvation in Abram's case was the coming of Christ and a cross that was to exist 2,000 years later. In our case, when we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, we are looking at that same cross, but it is 2,000 years in the past. And Abram was just beginning his walk with the Lord. And we find that immediately as he is traveling, that uh, he um, makes a serious mistake. And we find that even through his mistake, God had a purpose and a plan. And so we find that in verse 10 of chapter 12, there was a great famine in the land. And Abram uh, departed from the land that God had promised him would be the place of his blessing. Abram left the place of blessing. And he went, of all places, he went to, uh, to, down to Egypt. And Egypt was a great nation in those days. Canaan was the, you know, was the, like the wilderness, filled with many tribes. But there was a cultured uh, civilization not far away. Uh, and during the time of trouble, of famine, Abram reasoned in his own heart that he should take all of his people and go there. Well, the first thing he does when he gets there is he gets in trouble because when he goes down to Egypt, he had taken a good look 
at Sari, his wife, and he reasoned to himself, you know, she's really pretty. And I'm afraid when I get down there that the rulers of Egypt are going to want to take her to be his wife, to be the wife of, of one of those rulers. And they'll just kill me and they'll take Sarah away. And so uh, Abram tells Sarah to let everybody in that strange uh country they've gone to, to for Sarah to just tell everybody that she is not Abram's wife but she is Abram's sister and sure enough the pharaoh takes one look at Sarah and says I'm going to make that woman one of my wives and uh, he takes Sarah uh, with him the pharaoh now is not with Abram, her husband, but she is with Pharaoh. And, um, but God very soon allows Pharaoh to know that Abram has basically uh, put him in a bad place through telling him the lie that Sarah was his sister. Having found that out, and this is very interesting. I don't know how long they were there, but apparently a Abram, because his sister now was in uh, in process of becoming a wife of Pharaoh, Abram becomes very wealthy. More than that, after Pharaoh finds out that Sarah was Abram's wife, he sends him away and makes sure that he sends him away uh, in a way that God uh, would approve of, he gives uh, great wealth to Abram. And Abram takes all of the flocks and the wealth that, that uh, the Pharaoh gave him, and he goes back to where he should be, back to the land of Canaan. And he goes back to Bethel, and where he had first called upon the name of the Lord, chapter 13 of Genesis says, and Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Uh, that reminds me of our economy, uh, because the day is coming uh, quite likely when uh, um, many will turn back no longer to paper currency that has no no value in itself at all but <laughs> will be some will figure it out and become rich in silver and gold um, and so he went on his journey he left Bethel and uh, he travels away and he and Lot put down their camps and they begin to raise their cattle and their sheep. Interesting that Lot was blessed as he was a member. Uh, he wasn't the one who God called, but he was blessed just because he was in the presence of the one whom God was blessing. Reminds me in the days of the millennial kingdom when those who are not 
Israel will grasp the skirt of the robe of the Israelite and say, let me go with you to the temple to worship God. And so there was, there was blessing for Lot, and he had many flocks and herds, and so did uh, Abram. And it turns out that they had increased in such a way that where they were living, there wasn't room for both of them. Um, it reminds me of some marriages where they come to the place when there's not room for both of them in the same household. Uh, a sad story. But this sad story uh, has, um, has an ending, uh, has a direction that is to uh, teach us something later on. And so what we find is Abram's attitude towards Lot was, look, Lot, you can live anywhere you want. You want to go north, I'll go south. You want to go east, I'll go west. You want to stay here, I'll go somewhere else. Uh, Abram's faith was such that God's blessing was on him. And it wasn't, uh, in this case, so much uh, that Abram take the lead because uh, Abram's faith was not uh, in where he was, his faith was in the Lord. And so, unfortunately, we find Lot is going to become the type of a carnal man. Uh, it's interesting to me, the scripture says that uh, in verse 12 of Genesis 13, Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. And it reminds me of how carnal believers, talking about Christians now, how they fall into sin. They fall into sin first by simply thinking about it. They fall into sin and, and perpetuate the problem then by, uh, oh, by imaginations. And then in our age, they fall into sin often because they look for places uh, whereby they can uh, add to their imaginations and get involved with the imaginations of other carnal people, even to the ungodly. And that was Lot's problem. Uh, he didn't have to go down towards Sodom, but there was something about Sodom. And we know Sodom was a wicked, uh, was probably the most wicked place on the face of the earth. All kinds of, of uh, perverse goings on, including the perversions that are listed at the, the back part of Romans chapter one. 
where God gave them up to uncleanliness. God had already given Sodom over to every imagination of their unrighteous hearts. And that's the uh, setting that Lot chose. Well, somewhere along the line, having fixed his place of abode on the plain of the Jordan, where which was was uh, probably in sight of the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah. Uh, later on, we're going to find that Lot at some point did not just live on the plain, but he got involved in the city. And that is the progression of darkness and of perversion and uh, unrighteous imagination that comes into the lives of those who who step by step find themselves somewhere towards the end they find themselves absolutely captives of the enemy that is of satan because they have uh, in the beginning simply cast their eyes in a particular direction and so um, abram according to verse 18 let lot go where he wanted to go and abram uh verse 18 chapter 13 then abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of mamre which is in Hebron, uh, and built there an altar unto the Lord. All right. Now, the next event that is to occur here is that after some time, some years, Abram is living, he is prospering by the work of the Lord in his life, and Abram gets word that a number of kings had gone to war and uh, one of the confederations of uh, these kings went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. They de defeated uh, the armies of Sodom and Gomorrah and they took everybody that get their hands on to be hostage and to be prisoners and to be slaves. And among those people, huh, wouldn't you guess, among those that were taken into slavery was Lot and his family. And when Abram heard about it, uh, he happened to have uh, 318 trained fighting men. There's something about Abram that you see that Abram knew the kind of world he was living in and he made preparations uh, to defend himself against the ungodliness of those around him. To make a long story short, Abram takes his 318 men and he goes northward uh, to the location where these armies had taken their captives uh, and he 
by night and by stealth and by the blessing of God because he was facing armies that were much greater than his 318 uh, faithful men. And he slew them. And there was a great victory. And it is here that we find that Abraham sees uh, the power of Almighty God. And God blesses Abram through the work of a priest king that you, if you read the book of Hebrews, you would find is a very important person in the Bible. And his name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the priest and the king of Salem. And there is no record that he had a beginning of life or an end of days. And so we find that Melchizedek, who after the battle and after Abram had succeeded, who came to Abram with bread and wine, and there they had the first Holy Communion, looking forward to the cross of Christ. And the scripture tells us that Melchizedek blessed Abram and that Abram would take none of the spoil from the battle, but he paid tithes that is 10% of the booty that was his, and he left the rest for the other kings that were with him. And he uh, worshiped the Lord with the, the priest king, Melchizedek. Now, what is unusual about Melchizedek is that in those days there were priests and there were kings. But there was no such thing as a priest king. He's the only one. He is in all of the Old Testament. Melchizedek is the only man who is referred to as a priest king. And he was the priest king of Salem, uh, which uh, is, uh, means the place of peace. Now, when we get to Hebrews, lo and behold, we find that Jesus Christ also is referred to as a priest king who is after the order of Melchizedek and Christ who came from God and Christ who is eternal had no beginning of days and no end of days than what we have in Melchizedek to be mentioned in Hebrews that Christ was a priest king after the order of Melchizedek. We find a powerful type of the person of Jesus Christ here blessing uh, the, the, the faithful man, Abram. And so Abram leaves that place and he goes back home and it brings us to chapter 15. 
of the book of Genesis. And we read verse 1 of chapter 15, which says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. I, I wish uh, I could make everyone to see something so important. Uh, yes, we may consider Christ as our shield. That means Christ will take care of us. But my friends, you will never be growing up in Christ until you stop looking at him only as one who will defend you in the face of your problem. But when you come to know that not only is he your defender, he in himself is your reward. And the truth that we as Christians must come to is that the blessing of being a Christian primarily has nothing to do with how well, how prosperous, how much we gain in this earth. Whether we be rich or poor, it means nothing because our reward is not in the earth. Our reward is not even the fact that we will be in heaven for eternity. Our reward is a person. Our reward is that we will fulfill that purpose for which we were made. And what is that fulfillment? That fulfillment is that we will have an eternal relationship with the joy of our life. And the joy of our life as a person. He is the one who fills me with hope. For it is his hope. He is the one that satisfies my longings and my deepest desires beyond my comprehension. He, the person, is my reward. And so God let that be known to Abraham. And what we are looking at here is a man who is now becoming not just a man, but he is becoming the man of God. And so having now boldness to enter into the presence of God, we find in verse 2 of chapter 15 of Genesis that Abraham begins to, uh, to, to speak to the Lord in regard to his situation as according to the promise of God that he was going to become a great nation. Well, he's getting old. He's almost 100 years old. And in verse 2, Abram says, the Lord God. Now, by the way, you should understand those are two different words. One, the word Lord means master. And the, the, the Hebrew word is Adonai, 
It means the one who's in charge of my life. It means the one to whom I have sold myself as a bond slave. And then the word God in this case uh, is that uh, word uh, Jehovah that expresses uh, all that he is in power and self-existence. As I've told you in the past, the word Jehovah meaning the uh, self-existent one who reveals himself. And so the, Abram says, uh, you know, will you give me a child? I'm just uh, paraphrasing here a little bit. And God said, uh, indeed, that uh, he would provide uh, that which he promised as a child. And so in verse 5, the promise comes and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now towards heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And here we find the first expression that is uh, the very expression of everyone's salvation in every age and particularly in the age in which we live. Verse 6, and he, that is Abram, believed God or believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. I'll read that one more time. I'll just say it in my own words. And Abraham believed God. And that was counted to him for righteousness. That's all. My friends, we know that if you add anything to that, you destroy it. If you take anything away from it, you destroy it. For our salvation is based simply on faith that we believe whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was salvation in Adam's day. That was salvation for Noah. That was salvation for Abraham. That was salvation for Noah. That was salvation for David. That was salvation for Elijah. That was salvation for Zechariah. And that was salvation when Christ came and has been ever since. For it is simply salvation to all men in the earth forever that whosoever shall believe on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's never been different. There have been different means whereby God has tested men. But the ultimate goal of God for every man is that he simply believe. Even as when the Pharisees asked Christ, what shall we do, they said, to do the work of God. This is in John 6. 
and, and Jesus answered the Pharisees in that day. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he, that is God, has sent. And so this is a great turning point in Abram's life. And it was now at this very time that God would make and implement and seal the covenant that he had made with Abraham. He was completing the transaction right here in verse chapter 15, starting with verse nine. And I'll read this part. And God said unto him, this verse 9, chapter 15 of Genesis, and uh, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, this is Abraham or Abram, and divided them in the mess and laid each piece one against another, but the birds he divided not. And when the, fowl, the fowls came down upon the carcasses, these are the, the scavenger birds, Abram drove them away. And this went on for some time. And verse 12 tells us, and when the sun was going down, now, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that our relationship with Almighty God is not based upon our merits, nor is it based upon anything that we can perform. And it is seen here in a what I consider a beautiful way because when God wanted to uh, seal the covenant that he made with Abraham, the first thing he does is the sun was going down. He put him to sleep. And the scripture says a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And God said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. Now this is prophecy in the middle of the sealing of this covenant that Israel was going to eventually end up in Egypt in bondage this is god predicting the future 400 years off verse 14 and also that nation whom they shall serve will i judge and great and afterwards shall they come out with great substance again judgment and yet god blesses when israel came out of egypt they were so glad to get rid of them 
that they gave them gold and silver, all manner of precious things, including flocks and uh, wealth of every kind. Verse 15, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, speaking of Abraham, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they, that is Israel, shall come hither again, that is into the promised land, into Canaan, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Amazing. In the middle of God doing all of this, he reveals his mind that one of the side effects of, of Israel uh, conquering the land was that God was going to bring great judgment on the Amorites, and it yet wasn't time for that. Does God make any mistakes? What, where has he failed in planning your life and laying it out before you so that you could walk in faith? God misses not a point. Verse 17, this is, I find very moving. It came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. I'm reminded of the words in Hebrews, for our God is a consuming fire. And through a smoking furnace and a burning lamp, God passed between the pieces of the sacrifice. For there is not a covenant made, my friend, according to the scripture, without the shedding of blood. Even so, Jesus Christ's blood was shed in order to seal the transaction that God would make regarding his new covenant with Israel. The covenant of which we receive through our relationship to the mediator of that covenant, who is Jesus Christ. But the covenant was sealed by his blood. The covenant, my friends, will not be fully implemented until the millennial kingdom. But the blood of that covenant has already been shed. But the mediator of that covenant has already come and gone to be with his father in heaven. And so verse 18, in the same day, the Lord made covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Look it up, look it up on the map, my friends. It is a lot bigger than Israel is today. Verse 19, the Canaanites and the Kizites and the Kimonianites and the Hittites and the Pezites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gergesites and the Genesites. 
their land would be given to the offspring of Abram. Very soon, going forward, Abram's name will be changed. Where the word Abram means father, his name will be changed to Abraham, which is the father of many nations. And so here, my friends, we find the a very pointed genesis, if you would, of how God would bless the earth into eternity. I will end by saying this. What you have just heard our salvation depends on. Had there not been this story, there would not have been a Messiah. Had there not been this story, there would not be a blessing for us except there had been an Abraham and believed God. And it is for this reason that when you come to some passage, passage, for example, in Galatians, that we are the seed of Abraham, you should know that we are the spiritual seed because we have believed God and he has counted it to us for righteousness. Now those who would put forward to us religions and methods of salvation that are but simply the imaginations of men I challenge everyone to look into every religious writing across the face of the earth and find anything that has the continuity and the blessings that were upon actions, blessings to us that were based on actions of men who lived 4,000 years ago. And the continuity of how that blessing led to the cross and the one seed of Abraham, which is Christ. You want to know about that? You read Galatians 3, that through the one seed, we are propelled, if you would, all the way back to that blessing, or better said, that blessing is propelled through the ages, having reached us 
and will be a perpetual blessing for all those who believe into time and beyond time, into eternity without end. What happened here with one man who was called out of Ur of the Chaldees came salvation, which is beyond man's ability to comprehend. For all those who will simply believe God. May God bless this word to us. And so um, let us pray together. I'm going to ask Alice if she will close for us in prayer. Father, I am just so thankful this morning to be able to be bold and come before your throne. I thank you, Lord, that you are a sovereign God, that even before the foundations of this world, you had a plan. And Lord, I thank you that you have placed us in Christ Jesus, that we have the precious promises that Jesus is, is our hope. He is our inheritance and everything that we have comes through the precious son of, of, of Jesus. Glory be to your name. Bless these people, Lord, I pray. Unusual way of getting together. But as I told Miss Leanne, I said the Holy Spirit ministers in, a, in different places at different times and we're still one body and one spirit. So we give you glory, Father, this morning. Thank you, Father, for your promises and that they truly are, yea, and amen. Glory be to your name. Now, my friends, I may be one of the only people that talks to you today who hasn't brought up the coronavirus. Why? Because you could find out about that anywhere. And quite frankly, I do not believe that the truth of God has to be couched in a catastrophe. This word stands alone. And when I put this word together, or my words, this preachment, I never once consider the context in which it is being preached. I see everybody out there on YouTube bringing messages that are couched in the in the coronavirus and i say that is not needful because the word of god stands alone 
and our need for Christ will not be made real to us because there is a catastrophe. Our need for Christ will be revealed to us by the Holy Ghost. And God needs no other power. If you listen and then call upon the name of the Lord, God will respond. And you'll be able to say with Abram, the Lord is my shield. The Lord is my exceedingly great reward. God bless you all. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.